It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to KSL News Radio. We're listening to Live Mike. I'm Jason Perry, the director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. I am so fortunate to be co-hosting today with Morgan Lyon-Cotty, the associate director of the Hinckley Institute. Uh, we're about to talk about some issues that the two of us just love, Morgan, right? As the great Ted Wilson used to say, politics is the only sport. We're about to get to the sport of it because the national conventions are coming in August, which we're so excited about, particularly for our next guest here, Thomas Wright, former Republican National Committee member, is with us here. We want to talk about what's coming for this convention, which is August 24th to 27th. But first, Thomas, I just have to say you, you ran an amazing campaign as governor. And I've got to tell you, everyone is talking about what a great job you do at debates. Wow, you are good. Oh, well, you know what? It's an honor to have run for governor. I, I'm telling you, this state is so incredible. It's not just the geography and the landscape. The people just blew me away. In all 29 counties and all 249 cities, it's to get out there and to hear about their issues and to learn from them and to meet them. Uh, what, what an honor, seriously. I, 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 I loved every single moment of it. I, I woke up the day after, and other than the bad result that I got, I, I was like, man, I want to keep traveling around the state. I was, I, was, I was ready to go. So anyway, it was a great experience, and it was an honor. Well, you did a very nice job. I'll tell you, I've known you for a long time. I'm not sure you can find anyone more dedicated to the state of Utah than you and your family. So thank you for staying engaged. And, and particularly about this next item that I'm hoping to talk to you about uh, is this convention that's going to be in Florida. Uh, maybe, could you mind talking about this with your great experience with these kinds of, uh, of conventions to say what's going to happen uh, and how are they going to accommodate what's happening right now because of the pandemic? Yeah, no, it's a really interesting time. Look, all these conventions kind of take on a life of their own for various reasons, but this one is going to be historic and extremely unique with coronavirus. Uh, where it is, obviously, there's major challenges uh, with gathering people and respecting people's safety and balancing the need to do the business of the RNC while simultaneously um, not risking and jeopardizing people's health, which the RNC is very dedicated to. So it's what many organizations are dealing with right now, trying to walk that line and trying to redefine themselves on the fly. Um, as of right now, the business of the RNC will be done in Charlotte, the, the location that was selected, and that will be RNC members only and three other members from the state of Utah. Typically, we send 40 delegates to the national convention, the three RNC members from Utah and then 37 delegates that are elected at the state convention. They are going to do the business with six members so that they keep the number to exactly the size uh, they need to to meet the CDC guidelines. And then they're going to convene the rest of the delegates uh, for some fun and the more traditional things you see at conventions, speeches and acceptances and, the, you know, the nominee accepting the nominee of the party in Jacksonville. And that's where the delegates will go. And so it is a very different convention, different than any that we've ever seen before. And it will be historic. And I, I applaud the chairwoman of the RNC, Ronna McDaniel, for her agility and adaptability and her really making it happen during a tough time. 
Thomas, another, in addition to Ted Wilson's famous saying, um, another thing that we hear is that politics is about perception. So there was so much negative press around the president's rally in Tulsa. What is the party and what are Republicans doing to make sure that they are on the front end of this, that they're making sure that they want the the calm side, that communication to be positive and that people are viewing this positively? Well, I think I think that's a really good question, Morgan, because you're right that it seems like the coronavirus and the safety measures associated with it has become really political. Right. And and what they want to do is make sure that they they emphasize the RNC emphasizes that they want to put people's health and safety first and they want to responsibly do the business of the RNC to make sure that it gets done. And so it's about walking that fine line, like we're dealing with in the state of Utah. How do we open our schools and have our kids be educated while simultaneously not risking their health? And so it's, it's just what every organization is doing. But I will tell you, as a conservative, um, I want to lead by example. I've been, you know, I've masked up out of personal responsibility. I'm doing what I can in my business, uh, in my 14 offices around the state. I'm an employer. I'm leading by example. I'm asking my employees and my real estate agents to do the same. There's 250 of us around the state. And, and that's what the RNC is doing. They're saying, hey, we can do this safely. We can do this productively. I know the president wants to play a role in that. And, and I think together we can, we can lead by example and show that we need to crush this curve that we're on right now. It's a really scary time in the West, especially here in the state of Utah. When you look at everything we can to make sure that we're keeping people safe and that we're doing everything we can to slow the spread of the coronavirus. Well, I applaud you for your efforts there also, uh, Thomas. Let me ask uh, a little bit about these conventions. You know, uh, Morgan and I uh, meet with our students here. We even have these watch parties. We get down for the Republican, for the Democratic National Convention. The students love doing it. But what, I, what I'm wondering about this year is, is this, is sometimes you see, like, the next leaders emerging. Like, someone gives a speech at one of these conventions. You say, oh, that's, that's the future of our party. And, you know, we, we have examples of that in the past. I mean, one might say, you know, you know, sort of like a Ronald Reagan-type moment or yeah. Or Obama in 2004. Or, or Obama. It's a right, really good right. example. I still remember my husband turning to me and saying, I think that dude's going to run for president. He likes That's like yeah. my husband's claim to fame now. Okay. He called it first. <laughs> but how are you going to do that, uh, Thomas? I mean, are we going to, when we're kind of just kind of a scaled back version of this thing and we're not going to be able to, be, kind of to engage in the same kind of way, can we still find those people? Can the personality still reach the party to engage them? Well, you're talking to a guy who just ran for governor and tried to do it over Zoom. And, uh, and, you know, really struggled with it because that retail political environment is just irreplaceable. I mean, a voter being able to look somebody in the eye and, and, and feel their energy and their passion and their sincerity and gauge where they are is just irreplaceable, right? Uh, but I think you will see that because the, the convention is usually televised for most people, right? Most people are not there uh, in person. And so the RNC will make sure that it's deep bench. And its next generation of leaders, as you put it, uh, have a moment in the spotlight and that they have the opportunity to rise to the occasion. And I'm a firm believer that there is a next generation of this Republican Party, um, that, that, that there will be a new era, and it will be a very different than the one that we're in right now. And, and that's just been the history of the Republican Party. I think that history will continue and that we will see leaders emerge and they will, they will have new messages and they will tackle things in a new way. And I think we're living in a really historic time when things will really shift. And leaders that are in leadership positions who can't be athletic, who can't be agile, who can't recognize the severity of the moment, who don't have new and fresh ideas are going to really struggle. This is not going to be an era where status quo leaders survive. 
this is going to be an era where emerging leaders who really see things clearly and have a distinct vision for how things need to look and can have a plan to get things there are going to really are going to really shine and they're going to do really well and i think you're going to see that at this convention well, talking about emerging leaders, I think we're all curious to know what your next steps are. After the campaign, what's Thomas Wright going to do next? I'm just going to keep doing It's a great question, Morgan. Thanks. Don't I tell think. me that. Give us the, <laughs> no, give it, us the it really, dirt. It, it is a good question. If you figure that out, will you let me know? I would love <laughs> to know what Thomas Wright's going to do next. Well, Look, if you're I, not going to answer, t- tell well, us. I, I oh, then answer. Or, or we could become your life strategist, Thomas. <laughs> we're good at that from the microphone. I'm a good life coach. Okay. Well, I'm going to come to the Hinkley. And I'm going to sit down with you, too. But I've spent some good time with my family post-race and getting back into my business. And, you know, I'm just going to do what I've always done, and that is love my family, you know, serve my community, continue to be a job creator in the private sector, which I love. I love growing my business. I'm lucky. I'm blessed. So I'm going to focus on that. And I want to serve the state of Utah. I've made that very clear with my run for governor and the other things I've done on a volunteer basis in the state of Utah. And if opportunities arise where I think I can make a difference and I think my voice can add to the equation, then you will see Thomas Wright get involved. Well, we know we know from experience with, with you that our legislature likes having you involved and our state does as well. And we're just so grateful for you staying committed and being part of that process. It was a great campaign, and I know we'll see a lot of you connect to this community. Thank you so much for being with us, Thomas. Thank you, both of you, for all you do for the state. Thanks for having me on. Good to be with you. All right. Thank you. That's Thomas Wright. I'm glad to have him with us. Stay tuned as we come up to talk the Democratic National Convention. Darlene McDonald will be joining us. Welcome back. Glad to have you with us today. It's been an interesting show already. Some really uh, interesting guests, lots of information. You're listening to Live Mike, and I'm Jason Perry with the Hinckley Institute of Politics. I'm joined by Morgan Lyoncotti, also with the Hinckley Institute. We're just so glad to have you with us today. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, by the way, as we're talking with these guests. You may have some questions you want to ask, some comments you'd like to make. We invite you to weigh in. Uh, and text your comments to the U- through the Utah Community Credit Union text line. That's 57500. Send us text. We'd love to see uh, your questions and your comments. Uh, we're continuing on this, uh, this, this theme here of the conventions, Morgan, because we love these conventions that are coming up. Uh, the first one we're going to see, though, we just talked about the Republican, but now we're going to talk about the Democratic National Convention, which happens a little bit earlier than the Republicans this year, August 17th through 20th. And we are so fortunate to have with us today Darlene McDonald. She is the DNC National Committee Woman for Utah and a national delegate. Darlene, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, absolutely. Thank you for inviting me to come on. Well, we, we can't wait to hear about the plans and about your expectations for this convention, what's coming up. And maybe you talk about it, because this is a big one in terms of uh, Joe Biden uh, on the top of the ticket uh, for the convention. Tell us how the preparations are going right now and what you are looking to see happen at this convention in August. Well, it's, it's funny that you should ask. We just had our delegate training last night, actually. Um, they invited us on congressmen and the also the black um, congressional congressional black caucus chairman Cedric um, Roderick Roderick Cedric Roderick Roderick something like that Redmond that's it Cedric Redmond was on um, the Zoom call and they were just giving us some information regarding the convention. The convention is going to be held in August, August the seventeenth, and. No one is going to Milwaukee as far as the delegates are concerned. So they are telling all of the delegates 
do not plan on going. That is donors, um, sponsors, no one. They just said don't plan on being in Milwaukee. So that's going to be very different from any other uh, convention, but they're still planning on having a pretty lively affair for everyone, even though we're not going to be there in person. Everything is going to be virtual. It's going. To, they, they are going to have a more scaled-down convention for um, Mr. Mr. Biden and whoever he picks for the vice president as well, and whoever the key speakers are going to be. They, they, they will be in Milwaukee, but they will be in a smaller venue. But as far as the delegates and sponsors and, and uh, reporters or whatever, we're not going to Milwaukee. Well, I know we are going to want to ask you about who you think Biden's VP pick will be. But first, you well, know, the, are you going to give her a chance to come up with a name? Yeah, yes. So okay, because I'm very that, curious. On that, but first, I want to ask you: conventions are so much about the spectacle. We were talking about this with Thomas that people watch this. You know, most of the viewers are not in that convention hall, but they see the balloons mm-hmm. and the signs and the cheers and the excitement. So, uh, wh- what do you think um, Biden is going to be doing? How is he still going to? Um, appeal to voters and, you know, foster some of that excitement that conventions usually bring? You you know, I'm going to say quite pointedly that people are excited now. And it doesn't take a rally to get people excited to vote for Joe Biden. I don't think that the convention will change anyone's heart and mind. Uh, I, I know there's the concept of the swing voter, the undecided voter who may wait to a convention speech to make that decision. I don't know how real that is. When you have record turnout in the primaries in many states across the country, people right now, including myself, is very excited to vote Joe, Joe Biden, the president, the next president of the United States. And the convention speech and the speakers and whoever he selects for um, the, first, the, the who's going to be the first female vice president of the country, um, people will be excited about that. So the excitement is there. I think we, we're just ready to vote. I think people are anxious to vote. We've got a few months. We've got a little ways until we can yeah. do that, though. But Darlington, yeah. can, you tell us, can you tell us about this delegate training you just did? Because it's just just an interesting um, dynamic that is occurring right now when you say no one is going to be showing up in Milwaukee necessarily. I mean, you, you said a second ago that maybe the convention doesn't change a whole lot of hearts and minds necessarily. Do you, do you think it's because of the circumstances we find ourselves in right now with people being home and not being in person? Because I'm wondering if you think it would have been different if uh, the, if the, the Democratic National Convention was happening under different circumstances. For this particular year, 2020, 2020 is a year like probably like no other. We're, I think the, the closest would probably be 1968 um, convention. But because of COVID-19, that's the reason why it's different um, for Everyone And the reason why people, why I say it's not going to necessarily change hearts and minds is because who's currently occupying the White House. And people know, many people already know 
whether or not they want to reelect um, President Trump or they want to take a different route and make a different vote. Um, and that's based upon circumstances right now. That's the reason why I say it probably wouldn't change a lot of hearts and minds. We know who Joe Biden is. We have known Joe Biden for, what, the last four decades as being a member of the Senate for, you know, for many years before becoming Mr. Um, President Barack Obama's VP. So we know Joe Biden. He, he doesn't really have to introduce himself to anyone. We also Oops. know who Donald Trump is. So we're going into the ballot box. Well, not necessarily here in Utah. <laughs> we will be mailing in our ballots. <laughs> Already familiar with the people, the gentlemen at the top of the ticket. So that's why I say it probably won't change a lot of hearts and minds. Well, let me ask you about, about, about that, because the argument there was kind of people know Joe Biden, and so that's going to be the energy that the Democrats need. But tell, tell us what you heard about the strategy here, because let's just say, you know, the Democrats have control of the, the House right now, but the Senate is what the Democrats are looking for. 53 Republicans, 47 Democrats. There are 35 seats up for election. Is Joe Biden right now not just trying to be president, but what's he doing to try to, to get enough, enough of those good candidates elected to take over the Senate? Well, this is the best thing about Joe Biden. Joe Biden has spent a lifetime, well, I would say the last 40 years in the Senate, building coalitions, building relationships with other senators, with state legislators, with people within different states. And he knows people within those states. So he is doing a great job um, in Arizona with Mark Kelly. He's doing a great job in Maine. Um, with Sarah Gideon, to, who's going to go against Susan Collins. He's doing a yeah. great job in Colorado to um, replace Cory Gardner. He's doing, I believe, and I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that he could also pull up um, Jamie Harrison in South Carolina. I know that's a hard one, oh, but you know, so we, got, we got Doug Jones in there, so hey. <laughs> It's crazy. But but darling, we just have a few seconds. We just have to hear if you're in Vegas and you're making your bet, who does he choose for VP? We just want the name, Darlene. That's it. (laughs) Oh, okay. I have my top two. Let's hear it. Okay, that's it. And it's going to have to end, but it's the top two. (laughs) My top two is Susan Rice and Kamala Harris. Okay, we'll see. All right. We got it there. We've been listening to, uh, and talking with Darlene McDonald, DNC National Committee woman. Thank you so much, Darlene. Darlene, stay with us. We're going to talk polling. Everyone needs to pay attention to this one.